0: Hey, it's Karen on Rational in Portland. Thanks so much for joining us today. I am so excited. I have Stephen Cox, who's running for Portland City Council. He's running against the incumbent, Dan Ryan. Stephen's challenger, and Dan's challenger is A.J. McCreary. So the three frontrunners in this race for City Council are the incumbent, Dan Ryan, Stephen Cox, who I have here today, and A.J. McCreary. Stephen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, first of all, what do you do? What's your day job?
1: Campaigning. Um, human resources is my, my background.
0: What's your educational background?
1: Um, I went uh, to PSU and took... Uh, it's their hr certificate program um oh i didn't even know they
0: had that so there's an hr certificate
1: yes um we are lucky enough to have um the highest rated program in the country
0: wow that's fabulous and how long is that program
1: um it is about i think it's like six months if i'm not mistaken
0: and are you required to have a ba first or can you do that right out of high school
1: you can actually do it right out of high school is that what you did no actually i went and got um experience in uh working world
0: what, what did you do so where'd you go to I, high school
1: um albany, albany oh Oregon. is that where
0: you're from yeah okay <laughs> yeah, yeah. and how did you end up in portland
1: um the company i was working for i had put in my notice and because i got well i was looking at another job and next thing i know i go into work the next day and the district manager was there and he's like hey what if we just ahead and kind of move you to portland and give you your own store it's with that. Oh, wow. What store was this? Um, kids cameras.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. I remember kids cameras. Okay. So you came up here and you were running a kids camera store in Portland. Yes. And where was that? Was that downtown?
1: Um, it started, I started out in uh, Beaverton and then moved to Lloyd center.
0: And then what made you think, Hey, I'm going to go get an HR certificate.
1: Um, I went to work at, uh, next adventure as their, uh, HR director.
0: What's next adventure? Uh,
1: next adventure over on the East side. What uh, is Deacon it? Deacon Bryan's next adventure sporting goods store. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, really nice people. I mean, they really are. It's a really cool place to, to work. Um, is
0: it like REI only better because it's local. <laughs>
1: it's not a box store.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And they um, really help you and they get to know you and they find out what your hobbies are and they really help help you figure out what you need without upselling you or anything like that. Yeah.
1: That's the big thing It's just get you the gear that you need without, you know, without upselling or having it cost a ton of money.
0: Did they approach you about possibly doing HR there?
1: Um, It's what I was. It's why I was hired.
0: Oh, you were hired to do HR, and then yeah. and did they pay for your certificate?
1: No, that is something that I paid for on my own.
0: Wow, well, that's great of you to
1: do. Yeah. Um, I know some people are, they're like, oh, well, you didn't go to college or whatever. And you're right, I didn't. And it was because I came from a family that didn't have a heck of a lot. Um, you know, my mom was the only one that was working. Um, she was the only one that could work. Wow. And What was going every- on with your dad, if you don't
0: mind saying Um, My dad's mentally ill, so I, I mean, he, he died homeless, so I, I can relate to a dad who can't hold down a job. It's tough. Yeah. It's really tough. Yeah.
1: Um, he did, he did have some, some mental issues. And And so your mom was really the sole provider. He was a veteran.
0: Yeah, so was mine. Yeah. It's, we really don't take care of our vets.
1: No, we don't. And it's very, it's very disappointing to me. I mean, very, um, Veterans should be treated like gold. They should get better health care than everyone else. Um, they should just be put on a pedestal. I mean, really they should for what they've done. So. Uh-oh.
0: I've heard that you have a plan for the homeless that will not require a dime of extra taxes.
1: That is correct.
0: And tell us what that plan is.
1: Um, it does involve shelters. Um, it involves... Uh, all-encompassing um, care, basically. Um, you go into a shelter. Um, on-site, we do have uh, uh, health care there as far as like uh, mental health care uh, facilities. Um, you do have someone there for uh, the physical health. if uh, Depending upon what each shelter needs, um, it can become specialized. Um, if you have a, uh, a shelter that you really need for veterans, for example. Um, veterans have a unique route to get to for their benefits. So just any social worker might not be the best way to go. You're going to want uh, somebody there that specializes in helping uh, helping veterans get the, the, uh, the benefits that they need and that they're entitled to. Um,
0: so you'll have specialists... For all kinds of individuals. Each,
1: what bothers me is people say homeless, and they tend to group them together. Each homeless person is an individual. They all have unique needs. Um, When you go into a shelter, uh, one of my shelters, you get evaluated. Do you have an addiction issue? Do you have a mental health issue? We need to figure that out. So we know what services need to be at that shelter.
0: And what, and if you have an addiction, what's your addiction, right? Because we, yeah, we're going to treat them all differently. I mean, if exactly. you have, if you're an alcoholic, you could die. If you just withdraw from alcohol spontaneously, we're going to have to treat you differently than somebody with, um, a, an addiction. Like, I don't know, let's say heroin where maybe medicated assistant, tr- uh, treatment is a better option for you.
1: Yeah. Um, Like I said, you got to evaluate each and every person and find out what exactly it is that person needs. So um, each individual that comes in, um, when they get evaluated and we find out what they need, um, they're presented with a contract. And uh, this contract, it lays out um, what's required of them to stay in the shelter. Um, I know... A lot of people are like, "Well, you can't just you know shove somebody into a shelter and force them um, you to get sober." Well, beg to differ. The police do it, so why can't a shelter do it? Um, we're here to help them long term and become uh, hopefully productive members of society to fill uh, to live a fuller, more dignified life. Um, you can't tell me that sleeping you know on the street is dignified because it's not. Um, to have people come in and help the homeless get sober and get the help they need, it's extremely important. It really is, to the overall success of my plan.
0: How do you know that you can provide all these services? Which it, This sounds very luxurious because <laughs> my understanding is we're not getting anything approaching that right now, even though we have this homeless tax that's supposed to amass billions with the B dollars, we we've and that's just one of the many pots of money that we're spending on homelessness. How do how do you know that we won't need more money
1: to to, to enact your plan? Portland has a really big bucket of money to pull from. And you can't tell me that we're using it all effectively because we're not. Take a look at what's happening. Um, we're spending so much money on homelessness and yet looks like not much is getting done. So let's take a look and reevaluate what exactly we're spending the money on. Is it effective? Um, I know that there is some talk about, you know, well, there's nonprofits that we're spending money, uh, giving money to. Um, are they doing their, Are they doing their job? This is where you need to come in and you need to audit. You need to take a look at every single nonprofit um, and find out are they really doing what they are said they're going to do and are they doing it at the volume that they said they could do it at and if not why? So it's
0: some metrics, some accountability. yeah
1: oh yeah um, taxpayers the money that the government is spending, as a taxpayer, I should be able to go in and take a look and see very clearly, very easily where my money is being spent.
0: What If you are elected to city council, will you make transparency of use of taxpayer funds a priority?
1: It is, because it has to do with my homeless plan and where the money is coming from. So... Um, by vision, uh, as far as being able to know where your tax dollars go, literally you should be able to go to one, one web page and here's the total dollar amount, uh, the city budget, what they have to play with, and then a breakdown of each department, how much is going to that department, and then a breakdown of that department, what projects are being done and how much that project is, and you should be able to click on that project and then get more details. If you really want, it should be that easy to find out where your tax dollars are going. It's very frustrating.
0: So do you have a memory of what year it was that you decided, you know, I might run run for
1: office? I want to say when um, uh, the time came up that you had to file with your intention to run. Um, and it was like, well, do I, don't I? And a friend of mine was like, okay, look. You keep complaining. Do something. I was like, okay, fine. I'll do something. I'll run because when I filed, it was okay. Well, I have an idea of how to solve this, and it's just progressed.
0: How do you as
1: far as the plan?
0: How do you get homeless to go into these shelters that you've proposed?
1: We've tried the carrot it's time for the stick um the key is getting the shelters in place um i know there was, well, was martin versus boise wasn't it
0: the boise case that said you yeah. have to have somewhere it's a great it's actually makes a ton of sense it's a great case i think because you should have somewhere for them to go
1: when the ruling came down i just i rolled my eyes went okay great now our hands are tied and the more i thought about it it was like well no that does make sense you can't you know, punish someone because they're homeless and they're sleeping on the street. Well, and it
0: also hurts your own plan, right? Like if your plan is to get people off the street, but you, you have nowhere for them to go, yeah. your plan will ultimately fail.
1: Yes. And that's, this is where the stick comes in, so to speak. Um, when you have the shelters in place and you have the beds available, now it's, if you see somebody sleeping on the street, it's okay. You know, Billy Bob, you have three options. Um, one, you can go to a shelter, which we would obviously prefer you do Two, you can go to jail or three, you can gather up your stuff and keep walking. Point is you are not sleeping here in this park or on the street. That's not what it's for. Um, when my park becomes your bedroom, I don't have a park anymore. That's not what I pay for. I pay to have a park to go play in, um, I have, you know, I pay to have clean streets. Um, I pay my taxes to be able to walk down the sidewalk without walking around jars of urine or over piles of feces or even seeing somebody doing that. And it's one of the most disturbing things you will ever see in your life.
0: I'm sure the person doing it, their brain's been hijacked by drugs and mental illness, so they may or may not even realize what's going on. But it's sad to watch because, especially when you have family members who've struggled with drugs or mental illness it like I do it's it's sad for me to watch because I imagine myself in that position and I think I I would want somebody to step in people want dignity and it's a matter of getting them to a place where they don't where they're aware enough of of their life and and where they can thrive and they're not put in that position
1: I've had people uh, comment to me. Well, there's going to be people that don't want to go, that want to stay on the street. Most don't. Want to, the data
0: says most know, don't.
1: Yeah, that want to stay on the street and you know and stay high. My question is: When were they asked that? Were they high? Had they been you know off the the drugs for like maybe a day or something? When you get them off the drugs or get them clean and sober for at least you know two or three weeks and then ask them and show them what their life was and show them what their life can be. Then we can actually have a serious discussion as to whether or not they want to stay on the street and stay high. After that point, I'm happy to talk to you about it.
0: Although under your plan, they're not allowed to do that. Even if they wanted to, they're not allowed to do that.
1: That's right. Because I pay taxes. We all pay taxes to have clean streets, clean sidewalks, clean parks. Not, not, they're not,
0: So your point is, their quote-unquote freedom to do drugs and be splayed out in the gutters is interfering with regular folks' freedom of livability, um, people with disabilities' freedom to navigate sidewalks in a wheelchair or with a cane— elderly people people with physical disabilities the fact is portland is not a disability or elderly friendly city for that reason you cannot safely navigate you can't count on being able to safely navigate sidewalks in any area of the city you could pick the quote unquote nice areas i mean for instance laurelhurst used to be one of the the premier neighborhoods in portland and it was the site of one of the biggest longest homeless encampments and basically a takeover that that in my recent memory
1: yeah i heard about that somebody commented um on twitter they're like well hey you know you've got laurel Hurst, and what are your plans if um, i can't remember the the group's name, but they show up and they're like, oh, no, the, the homeless, you know, they're right to live on the street.
0: Houseless advocates. Is that, that what they? Well, I, mean, I know Antifa a has a section of.
1: This uh, person mentioned a, a specific group. I don't remember. The there name. might be a
0: group. There's definitely there are many, many. They call themselves houseless advocate groups that are pro encampment and pro enforcing the status quo, allowing the homeless to just kind of do whatever they want, even if their actions interfere with the livability of others.
1: The laws apply to everyone or they apply to no one. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm not like hardline or anything, but that's just how it is.
0: What do you say to people who would say you're criminalizing homelessness?
1: Uh, I'm just going to say no. You can't. Um, it's it's criminal to leave these people on the street and to leave them lying there you know, dying is, is what's happening. That's what's criminal.
0: And this is true. Tr- I'm completely on board with this because what's so heartbreaking is, and watching my family members go through it, my sister, my my dad, it's treatable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's unlike dementia, mm-hmm. unlike unlike Alzheimer's, unlike frankly, any terminal illness like cancer, we can treat mental illness and addiction. And and these lives don't have to be lost. And they don't have to live in their own and others' filth. And we don't have to witness their trauma. We can, We can do something to help them. And you're saying, because their brains have been hijacked by mental illness and drugs, we need to basically enforce the laws which keep them from being a danger to themselves and other people i mean clearly they're a danger to themselves that's no way to live life
1: it's it's not Um, that's
0: not life that's not living
1: we as a society um if you were to look at the city of portland we have the resources we have the money to help get them off the street but we're not and in my mind, that's it's morally and ethically wrong. It just is. We have the ability to help these people, yet we're choosing not to. It's I'm not proud of that. I'm not happy about that. That to me it's it's shameful.
0: Our DA, Mike Schmidt, is notorious for refusing to for refusing to enforce a lot of these laws on the books. And he's pro-decriminalization of many, many, many things. He's against incarceration. In fact, he wants to de-incarcerate most of the prison population, most of the jail population. How will you get Schmidt on board with, with the wrong of your plan that involves jail
1: either you do your job or we'll find someone that will it's that simple he was hired to prosecute people that's what that's what we said hey no we want this person to go ahead and uh, and be the one to you know prosecute people that that commit crimes if you're not going to do your job then why do you have it
0: are you talking about leading, maybe leading a recall effort?
1: Yeah, whatever it takes. I'm sorry, but if if anybody were to go to their to their work, their place of work, and just sit at their desk and twiddle their thumbs all day, do you think they'd stay employed?
0: City government. I mean, it's a whole different animal, isn't it? And so you're saying treat it. It's, it's called have expectations of people.
1: That's right. We know what our expectations are of you, and you know what they are. So either live up to the expectations, or we'll find someone that will.
0: What would you say to somebody who would, and and I think Mike would say this, I think Mike would say, look, everybody read the voters pamphlet. Everybody knows that I ran on a campaign of decriminalization and de- incarceration, and I have a mandate. I won by a landslide. I won by so many votes that Rod Underhill, the previous DA, stepped down and allowed me to just slip into office even before my t- clock was supposed to begin running. How dare you overturn the will of the voters? What would you say to that?
1: Okay, let's hold um, another election with with you on the ballot and somebody else. And we'll see what happens.
0: So you think that maybe you won't,
1: you won't be elected based upon what's happening.
0: You think that maybe it sounded good in the voters pamphlet, but now people are seeing the effects of somebody like Schmidt as our DA. And, and is it your, it must be because you're, you're running on this platform you must believe, then, that, that the voters have decided—they they have some remorse.
1: Hardesty looked good on paper.
0: She looked great on paper. I mean, most um, people that I know voted for her, and most people that I know don't ever want to vote for her again. I'm but, ash- they, but they I, did I, vote for her twice. I'm
1: ashamed to say I did vote for her, and mm-hmm. I regret it greatly.
0: She's a vet. Okay. She looks fabulous on paper. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And she sounds her, her, her platform and the things that she's interested in, social justice, engaging voters, engaging her constituents, grassroots type movements. She has that military background. She seem seemed like a very together person. Yeah, I agree. So what you're saying is... I guess here's my question. I have heard that there's a silent majority in Portland that agrees with you and, and it's not the people on Twitter. Do you, what do you think of that? Do you, do you have any data to support that? Or, or is that your sense as well?
1: It's my sense as well.
0: What do you I mean, base they're, that they're,
1: on? We're talking silent majority. So there's going to be a lack of, of data out there because they're silent. So, um, just look at it, social media as a whole. Um, you can, I don't know, you just get that sense that, you know, you're just your average person, right? I'd like to say that I'm your average Portlander. And I can't be alone in the way I feel. You can't either. It's absurd to think that everybody is okay with the way things are. Um, there are those that and I used to be one of them that were like, okay, well don't speak up. You know, we'll just see what happens. Don't speak up.
0: Well it's also scary to speak up, is exactly. it exactly
1: because you'll be labeled as, you know, anti-homeless, as a racist or pick something that has a negative connotation to it, a negative label that makes you look like the worst person on the planet. That's what you will get labeled as because you had the audacity to stand up and speak out that you're not okay with this.
0: It's very scary, and and you people don't want to lose friends. They don't want to jeopardize their jobs if they have the sense that the majority believes, or if they even have the sense that the loudest people believe that they're racist, that they're homophobic, that they're mean people, that they're bad people. They're not gonna say the things that are get them going to get them canceled. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's, it's horrible. It really is. You, you, you should be able to stand up and have people listen and have a dignified conversation. But so many times you can't because so many people are just, no, it's my way or the highway. Um, you're wrong. That's just how it is. And they're unwilling to actually stop and listen to what it is you're saying because it's entirely possible that you could actually meet halfway.
0: What is it about you that enabled you to not only speak out, but get out of that silent majority box and actually run for office? What, what characteristics or qualities do you think you have that separate you from the rest of us?
1: I have experience in HR which requires a lot of open communication and forcing communication um, as well as developing and implementing policies. Um, It wasn't until like my last job that I felt really comfortable um, standing up and talking in front of a ton of people and that's what I needed to do on numerous occasions. So once you're able to stand up... And say a lot of things that people didn't want to hear. Exactly. Like, we're going to start randomly drug testing people. All the moans. It's like, hey, I'm not a popular person. I get it. However, this is just how it is. I'm stating a fact. Deal with it. So you just, you need to... I was extremely nervous. Once I realized what the plan was and, and was like, okay, no, this is really what we need to do. Then it was, well, I'm not selling myself, I'm selling my plan. And that's what it comes down to, because this, this isn't about me. This is about, the, about Portland, about the homeless and getting them off the street. It's about you know, the taxpayers as a whole, um, not just me.
0: Where are you going to put the shelters?
1: That one is a tricky question. Because there, it's like with um, Dan's little villages. There was a whole big, you know, well, you can't put it here. You can't put it there. You can't put it here. That's where you have to sit down with the neighborhood. And it's like you need to get your plan in order and talk to them and find out, hey, what are your expectations? The If we put it here, what do you want to see? If we just came in one day and said, okay, no, we're going here. That's just how it is. What, what are your concerns? How can we address those how can we make you comfortable with the fact it's there um, one thought was okay let's have a security guard or two 24/7 okay that seems reasonable
0: I think at the very least you yeah, need something that like
1: that seems reasonable okay well it's a shelter you need to have a curfew okay um, now we need to come up with you know rules for the shelter. Um, What happens if you are walking towards the shelter and, you know, you toss your bag of, you know, McDonald's food on the ground or something? There's got to be a consequence. What is it?
0: I'm sure you know it's notoriously difficult to get well if you're extremely mentally ill. I mean, you got to try lots of drugs. You got to try lots of providers it's a lot of trial and error. And if you're an addict, same kind of thing. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I read a statistic that said it takes something like eight times to get off of opiates. What about the people that are trying, but they're failing? I mean, we used to have drug court where...
1: Which I'm a fan of.
0: Love drug court because... And, and anybody who's who's been in the legal system or who's watched people go through drug court can tell you the nice thing about drug court is you you do get second chances and as long as you're actively working on yourself most judges most parole officers they want to see you succeed they're cheering you on your peers are cheering you on and you're able to try again so is that the kind of would you have that kind of model in this shelter system where as long as you're working on yourself, you get, I mean, I think you'd need a lot of chances to get off yeah. the opiates.
1: Yeah, you do. Um, it's not a one-time deal. It can't be in order to be effective. So
0: how does it work? Like if I slip up and I'm in one of your shelters and I go out and grab a bag of, well, now it's all fentanyl, but I, I'm, I'm going to. say heroin but we know it's all fentanyl now i grab a bag of something and i'm clearly high and i'm kicked out of shelter do i get to go back to treatment at the taxpayer's expense i mean i think most taxpayers would support me going to treatment as many times as i need to get off drugs but i don't i don't know
1: that's something that i don't have an answer to is it something you'd be open to absolutely if it can help you uh uh Get off of the drugs for long-term, yes. Um, but I'm not an expert. so that's Would why you we hire have experts. experts? You have to. You have to. Um, in order to make things work, you have to, to bring in experts and listen to them and follow their advice.
0: How would you find them?
1: They're out there. Um, and how would you, you, you distinguish
0: to- between... Uh, a non-profit industrial homeless complex type quote-unquote expert and like a real expert?
1: What's their background in? um, Where have they worked? Basically, it's a job interview. It's a job interview. Metrics, success rates. Exactly. Um, and Data. A lot of reference checks. Um, It's like when we... I'm sure we'll move to this subject, um, but... Go with, ahead. With the police. Yeah, let's talk when about it. We go and we, uh, somebody applies, right? Before we even accept them for training or anything, we need to know everything there is about this person. We need to spend um, maybe twenty to $30,000 is probably what it would cost to have uh, an investigative department research this person. We need to talk to you know, their, their family, their neighbors, their friends. Um, you know, the, if they just graduated college, I want to talk to their, their college professors. I want to talk to roommates. I want to know everything there is to know about this person to make sure they are wanting to become a police officer for the right reasons. Not the, I have a gun, you'll respect me. We need to make sure we're hiring the right people. Um, you can spend twenty to thirty thousand dollars doing that or you can go ahead and hire anyone and spend millions and millions and millions of dollars in lawsuits. I tend to think that uh, spending the twenty to thirty thousand dollars investigating this person is a much better use of money.
0: Tell me in general what if if anything, what kinds of plans you have for, this, I would call it a police crisis in the city of Portland. We can't seem to, first of all, we don't have enough of them. We've cut their budget significantly. What would you do?
1: I do not want to be Chicago. (laughs) Um, I don't want to cut the police budget, then turn around and ask the federal government to come in and help get our crime under control. That's the last thing we want. We need to... Get the police department back their their budget. Um, We need to start recruiting people, um, and we need to offer some serious incentives for people to for for people to apply. And and it sounds like you would change
0: barriers. You would raise the barrier to entry, which is tricky because I I mean this started a long time ago in twenty nineteen. You could become, they changed the rules. We, we had a shortage then, and you could yeah. become a cop with a GED and a neck tattoo. Yeah. And so I guess the question is, and I think what a struggle would be is we already can't get cops. We want to raise the bar. I, th- I think all Portlanders, or, or at least the majority of the Portlanders with common sense, believe that we need to raise the bar for our police. They need to be trained well. There isn't a reasonable person who doesn't think that police brutality is a problem and that it has got to stop and that we've got to train these police better. And so how do we both raise the bar for police and bring them over here? Do we pay them more? What do we do?
1: Incentivize. Uh, We're talking bonuses. Um, if you have a... I'm a big fan of referral bonuses. Um, The saying is, you know, successful people hang out with successful people. So if you have a police officer that is the ideal officer, right? And we do have some, I'm sure. If they refer someone and that person, you know, we accept them, the person that referred them should get some sort of referral bonus, but not at once. It's just not... It should be long-term. You get a small bonus if we hire them on, and I mean a small percentage of the overall bonus, and then a year into it, you get more, and then two years into it, okay, fine, you can have the rest of it, provided that this new officer that you referred to us meets all their... meets all our expectations.
0: What kinds of expectations would you have?
1: Um, Well... Part of uh, part of my recruitment process would be if we hire you and you go through training. Okay, fine, but we're not gonna have you go on patrol necessarily. We're gonna have you make. We're gonna have you as a peace officer, and we're gonna go ahead and put you on the street, and you're gonna walk the beat, so to speak, because you need to get to know the people that you're you're going to be serving and protecting, and driving around in a car all day isn't the way to do that. It's a great way to have a barrier between. The officer and the public and say, oh, well, the only time I'm going to interact with you is if there's an issue. That's the only time you're ever going to get to know me. That's not how it should work. The officers, before they go on patrol, should be walking downtown. And I don't mean, you know, on a bike. That's great. But you walk the beat. You say hi to people. As far as the policing goes... Over the course of like two months, you should be able to walk out of your business, like downtown, for example, um, when you leave, right, and you see you're going to your car and you see an officer walking towards you, ideally you would have seen this officer many times over the course of you know six months or a year because this officer walks the beat and they get to know the people that... They're going to be working for, and they work for us, the taxpayers. And it's important that they humanize us and that we humanize them. Because right now it's like, oh, well, they're just bullies. They're, you know, horrible, horrible people. Not all of them. Think about it. They are seriously overworked big time. Um, Imagine if you were at your job and half the people quit and then all their work got tossed on you. Yeah, you're going to get burned out, you're going to get easily agitated. So it's not really surprising that there's these issues right now with the officers. They're just they're seriously overworked. Hence we need more.
0: It's sort of a tricky situation because they also have a the police have a very very powerful union. And I think what's difficult about left-wing politics is it's been very tough, especially far left-wing, it's very tough for them to pick a lane, right? Because they want to support unions, but they're generally not pro-police people. There doesn't seem to be a lot of political will to... It's a very tricky issue. It doesn't seem to be a lot of political will to decrease the amount of power the police union has And on the, on another aspect of that is if we decrease the amount of power the police union has, it's possible that we also decrease the quality and the quantity of officers. So how do you plan to deal with that tension? Because it's my understanding that the reason that these officers, the bad apples stay where they are is because of these unions. I mean, they practically have tenure. Yeah. It's like teachers.
1: Yeah, um, the, the community oversight, whatever it was supposed to be, that still, who knows where it's at at this point. Um, in the past, it's been, oh, well, you know, this committee recommends some sort of discipline. Who knows if it actually happens? Chances are probably not. Whereas the new oversight committee is, okay, well, no, this officer's getting punished. Here's what's happening. I'm all for that. Um, I think that uh, police officers' records should be easily accessible by the public. Um, If I want to look, if I have an encounter with an officer, I want to look and see, well, what kind of disciplinary actions have they had? Any? The names can be redacted. That's fine. But the public should be able to look and see what their officers are up to.
0: So one of your big campaign platforms, it seems, is transparency generally, which we are really lacking.
1: I'm big on transparency. Um, Speaking of police unions and negotiations and such, um, I know this will not go over well, but the public should be able to see what those negotiations look like and what's being done, um, the deals that are being made. I have no idea the last negotiation what deals were made.
0: Right. What are we bargaining away?
1: Yeah. Not a clue. Transparency comes in. The, no, we're going to go ahead and we're going to broadcast this or we're going to record it and make it av- available online. The public has a right to know what you're, what you're giving or giving up.
0: Why do you say that's not popular? Because I think the majority of voters would.
1: When I say not popular, it's not going to be popular with, uh, uh the people that do the the negotiations. Um,
0: for the sure police, not. Yeah. For sure not. Oh yeah.
1: The police union's going to be up in arms and be like, "Well, no, we're not going to, you know, negotiate." Well, okay, fine. You can stay where you're at. Stay stuck. Okay.
0: Tell tell me about your thoughts about teachers cuz there's first of all, there's a crisis of education in Oregon. For years and years, we are have been ranked at the bottom of the barrel for education. For a very long time, we couldn't seem to, our, our high school graduation rate was some abysmal number that started with a seven, sometimes reached to 80%, which is also, I mean, it's high school. It's yeah. just absolutely abysmal. We're routinely ranked just above Mississippi for our educational quality, which seems completely bizarre because we're supposed to be so, our state is seen as being so progressive And you would think that an emphasis on education would go hand in hand with that. And then, of course, we had this COVID pandemic in which in our state in particular was dealt with by closing schools for 16, 18 months, the better part of two years, our kids were not going to school in the state of Oregon. In to the extent schools were finally opened, it was the private ones that opened first. So it was the kids who already had resources. Tell me your thoughts on education in, I mean, I know you'd be on Portland City Council, but tell us your thoughts on education as it relates to, say, Portland public schools.
1: Somebody told me, I had mentioned a teacher's salary and they had brought up, Well, all the benefits they get, you know, they get PERS, they get this, they get that. Those don't pay the bills. It's about what's on your paycheck right here, right now. Same thing when companies are like, oh, well, you get, you know, all this insurance and stuff that we pay for. Go ahead, take your insurance card down to, you know, the elect, I don't know, PGE and say, hey, I want to pay my bill. Do you think that's going to work? No. It's about what's on your paycheck. Um, The, teachers should not have to go and buy supplies for their students out of their own pocket. It's absurd. It really is. Um, totally agree. The, the challenge is making sure that the money makes it into the classroom. And if it does, how, um, we should be spending way more than we are per student. Um, the classrooms should be smaller, which means we need more teachers. Um, And there's a real teacher shortage. How do
0: we attract teachers?
1: In the end, it's all about money. Everything is. The world revolves around money. So it's, if you have, this goes back to my referral idea that I really like. Um, You get a great teacher. They refer someone else. Okay, well, let's take a look at that person and see what kind of history they have. Um, You can get uh, bonuses uh, when you, when you come in, if you're a new hire, um, you know, after a year or two years, you got to have a clean record. You need to be able to show uh, how you're educating your students. Um, not a big fan of standardized testing, but yeah, whatever. Um, so, pay. Hey.
0: How do we do that? Do we raise taxes? What would be your plan to increase, to pay for the
1: increase in teacher salaries? I don't know because that's not something I have been working on. Um, that's something you need to bring other people in on.
0: My, it, I, yeah, I think you definitely have to because you'd, you'd have to sort through the mess that we've put ourselves in through PERS. I mean, we we made... The front page Oregon made the front page of the, of the New York Times. This was a while ago. The story was called a seventy six thousand dollar. Now of course it wasn't talking about a teacher. It was talking about somebody at OHSU. But the title was a seventy six thousand dollar monthly pension. Why states and cities are short on cash. It's from April fourteenth, twenty eighteen. Governments are struggling as mounting pension obligations crowd out the. Rest of their budgets. Oregon faces a severe self-inflicted crisis. Basically, what this article said is to dig ourselves out of this self-inflicted crisis at which we set per's floor at eight percent. You you your retirement accounts cannot dip below eight percent of your tier one. Those tier one people will not only have to die; their spouses and their beneficiaries will have to die to dig ourselves out of that and so i think that that's a great idea to get i and i don't even know where you where you would start with an economist or somebody to kind of sort through it and maybe a lot of this goes back to your idea about transparency and metrics and accountability and figure out where where the hell the money that we do have is going Mm -hmm. yeah because these schools raise tons of money at these auctions and things and i know a fair amount of it i don't I don't know exactly how much, but there is a percentage that goes to a fund called All... It's called All Hands Raised, and it goes to a fund that gets sprinkled throughout all of the other schools to try to ensure some kind of... Uni- we can't ensure uniformity. I mean, the very sad thing is Bose Elliott is never going to be Ainsworth. It's not. And I think the hope was to take some of that Ainsworth money that gets raised and spread it around to some of these schools that yes, they have, they, they do get federal money. Um, and I think maybe they get quite a bit of it, but also give them some of that local money that's being raised. And maybe that goes into your transparency too. Like, where is all this federal money going that these title... I forget what it's called, but there's a certain if you're a poor school, you do get a fair amount of federal money. And where does it go? And maybe day one of office is sort of spent sorting through with these various programs, not just school. We got schools. We got police. We got homes. Where in the hell is all the money going? And are we seeing any results? I don't think any of us know the answer to that.
1: We don't. We don't. Um, As far as transparency goes and auditing you know the books so to speak in, in city government um, I'm sure the auditor can do a great job but there's a conflict of interest
0: the, What's the
1: conflict paid by the city. I would ideally like to have an outside company come in and take a look and do an audit. they're going to be impartial. And, hey, here's where all your money is going. These are the, the companies that we're, you're send, you know, sending money to. Here's what they're supposed to be doing. Okay, great. Even if we don't, the even if the company says, well, this is just how much money you're, you're sending to this this company or this group. We don't know what they do. Okay, fine. We'll figure it out. We know what they're supposed to be doing. But I want to know, where's our money going? And I want I want a third party that they can come in and say, hey, let's take a look. Let's get into the details. Cause this is what we do for a living.
0: I know one question that's on a lot of people's minds is where you stand on things like mask mandates. You know, for instance, the Oregon Health Authority has this permanent ability under the Oregon administrative rules to slap masks back on all of us and kids in school if they deem it to be a COVID emergency at least the the Oregon administrative rules are specific about COVID which is helpful so they can't just use any kind of health emergency they deem fit to put masks back on everybody but how do you feel about mask mandates that vac- COVID vaccine mandates things like that?
1: COVID vaccine mandates. So you want me to do something. You want me to do a medical procedure. You want me to participate in a medical procedure. And if I don't, I'm going to get in trouble.
0: Well, you certainly that's won't be able that's to participate in society.
1: You're telling me that I have to undergo a medical procedure. And it doesn't matter what it is. You inject me with something. You... I, I I don't even know. Um,
0: you know, it's interesting it because people people how... say things like, "Well, you have to have vaccinations to attend schools." I think what people are forgetting is that Oregon actually has a real libertarian streak, especially when it comes to vaccines. Until COVID happened, which oddly, but and I'm not I'm a I'm a pro vaccine. Per, my kids are my kids. Not only have the COVID vaccine. They, they've got everything you can get. I get. We get the flu shot every year. We're just those kind of people. So I'm not part of that libertarian strain. But there is a, a large libertarian contingent in Oregon that they, they didn't get their flu shots. And now suddenly they're pro-COVID vaccine mandate. I mean, these are, these are I know some of these people. They, they would say things like, I'm not getting the flu shot because there's mercury in it. But they're cutting the line and ahead of people in their sixties and saying that they have underlying conditions so that they can run out and get a COVID vaccine, or they don't want to vaccinate their kid for whatever so they can go to school because they're worried about some kind of Jenny McCarthy conspiracy theory about autism. But they're they they want to vaccinate their you know, nine-year-old for COVID. It's just really interesting. I think what people forget is we have very large vaccine exemptions in Oregon. And in fact, they're so large that, that diseases like whooping cough are coming back. Um, so I, I think the argument that, well, everybody has to get vaccinations to attend school, that's a tough argument to make here in Oregon because we we really, we're not stringent about things like that. We're, we've only really hammered down on on covid and I can't put my finger on why the only explanation I can co- come up with is Trump derangement syndrome. And and he came up with okay. the vaccines. Wow. The craziest part of all that is he came up with the flipping vaccines, the operation warp speed. That was a Trump initiative. And I remember when he came up with it and Kamala was saying, well, if he comes up with it, I'm not going to put it in my arm. And all of a sudden he's out of office and and everybody is everybody who claims to be a left wing person is running in droves to get this vaccine that he came up with. And now it's OK because there's a different president in office. I, that's all I can come up with. I actually don't understand what the left's obsession is with the covid vaccine, which, yes, keeps you out of the hospital, but doesn't seem to prevent transmission in any way, shape or form. Certainly not now. I mean, um, do you, it sounds like you're against vaccine mandates, COVID vaccine mandates?
1: As a whole, yeah. What, a what about fan. the mask mandate? That one I'm still kind of, I don't know. I'm still kind of, yeah. Iffy it, on it. Is
0: that another issue where you'd consult experts before making a decision?
1: The experts have already been consulted, and I'm still kind of on the fence. Whether or not I'm for it or not, um, you're not wearing all, one today. When you all, came
0: into my office, you weren't wearing one, so I take it and you're I haven't, not I wearing I haven't, them Since the
1: today. mandate was, was gone, I have not been wearing a
0: mask. Why is that?
1: I just feel comfortable. It's you know people are like oh well it's your own personal choice yeah it is. I feel comfortable enough to go out into the public and go shopping or have a conversation with somebody and not have a mask on. I feel comfortable with that. Um, When I do, I don't go and say, hey, I want to have a conversation with you. You know, are you vaccinated? No, I just feel comfortable. And I think that's what has a lot to do with if you're comfortable or not.
0: Where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Do you have a website? Do you accept direct messages on Twitter?
1: Um, you can go to my website, which is stephencox Um, pdxcom You can find me on Twitter um, at stephencoxforpdx. Um pdx I do accept direct messages. Um, I, for the most part, when it comes to um, like debates or anything along those lines put on by a third party, I tend to get left out of them. And it's simply because, you know, I don't have a ton of money. I don't have $40,000 or more in the How finance. do we
0: contribute to you?
1: Um, you can go to my website, and there is a, a tab for donate, and it'll take you to the website to accept the donation.
0: And if people donate, that will help increase the pool, u- ultimate pool of donations. Are you part of that matching uh, program where you get, I don't know, it's something like nine times whatever somebody donates?
1: I am not. Um, completely. At this point, um, when I first started, I was self-funded. I had my own money and that was it. Um, I've gotten some donations since then from family and friends, um, people that uh, I don't know have contributed. Um, I try to make it a point to send them an email back. Um, you can call, that's fine. Um, if someone answers, chances are it's me.
0: So. I think that's great.
1: Um, I've had hour long conversations with people and I, um, you know, I talked to a guy that lives over in the Pearl district and he's like, Hey, here's, here's our issue. I was like, okay, talk to me about it. And then I asked him, Hey, what are your thoughts on, you know, this is kind of what I want to do. Here's part of what are your thoughts on it? So when people are like, Oh, well you need to have a dialogue with the public yeah, you do. It's important. It doesn't matter if you're in office or if you're running for office. You need to talk to them. You need to find out what exactly it is that people want and what their, their issues are. Each neighborhood, they all have their own neighborhood association because they all have different issues. And you should stop and you should listen. One size does not fit all. Same thing with um, with the homeless. One size does not fit all.
0: Okay, so if you are on a neighborhood board or if you have any way of getting in touch with your neighborhood association and you want to hear more from Stephen, you have questions for Stephen, make sure to invite him to speak. And it sounds like if you can put that together, he will show up and and talk to you. Is that right, Stephen? You're open to having conversations with people and you want to talk to Portlanders.
1: Yes, I do. And and hear
0: their concerns and answer their questions. Yes, absolutely. What distinguishes you? I want to talk about your uh, uh, most. Well, actually, let's circle back. (laughs) Why don't you why aren't you part of that matching fund
1: program? Um, The matching fund requires 250 donations of five dollars or more from people that live within the city of Portland.
0: So you have to have that first to qualify. Yeah. And you just – it's not that you didn't want to participate in the program. It was just that you just didn't have it.
1: That's right. I didn't have the 250, so therefore I didn't qualify. So, so – Which – okay. Going back to campaign money, um, I don't – let me rephrase this. Um, I think in order to have a, a fair election and let everybody have the same opportunity – I think the matching funds, great idea. Ultimately, I think it should be about how much you spend. I think each candidate should only be able to spend a certain amount of money. It should be capped. Yes, it should be capped. That way, it's if totally you have $100,000 in the bank, right then and there, I can go ahead and I can just saturate the market. And just anybody and everybody that has less than $40,000, well, we don't even know who you are because nobody can hear you um when it comes to debates uh, i think that if you are on the ballot you should be invited Um, in my view if you're excluding people it's election interference it really bugs me
0: it's so odd that they do that here in portland because portland is seen as such a progressive place and it's seen as a place that loves rich taxes, hates the wealthy, and yet you have to have a certain amount of money as a candidate to participate in any of this stuff, which is absurd.
1: Do you know what they call, do you know what they say? If if you don't have that kind of money, you're not a viable candidate. My question is, who the hell are you to decide for the voters who is and who is not a viable candidate?
0: And who says this? Is this the press?
1: They, the press... Um, you name it, any pretty much any type of uh, news organization. They're just like, well, you're not a viable candidate because you don't have you know forty thousand dollars or more to spend, and it's like, well, you're right, I don't because I'm not part of the city matching funds program. I'm not you know independently wealthy. I'm just your average Joe schmo who has a plan to solve the homeless problem. So fine. If you don't want people to actually know my solution, or if you want to go ahead and leave the homeless on the street. Okay, fine. Exclude me. The guy with the plan.
0: You know, I actually think the timing is right for a candidate like you, because I don't know if you remember this or read about this at all. But there's a guy named Edward Durr who created this incredible upset. He was a truck driver. He had a few thousand bucks and an iPhone video. Did you hear about this guy? Yes, I did. And he won. He toppled New Jersey's most powerful lawmaker. He had this huge upset victory over New Jersey Senate President Steve Sweeney. I just thought it was his video. <laughs> was, have you seen his video? It was great. I
1: actually have not he's seen it. He's standing
0: right next to his truck. It's filmed with an iPhone. He says who he is. He says what he's running for. It's no BS. His campaign, apparently, and this is according to Reason Magazine, November 4th, 2021. Apparently, Edward Durr's campaign in New Jersey costs less than $6,000. And some reports claim that he even spent just a hundred and fifty three dollars. Period. And he ousted the New Jersey Senate President Steve Sweeney in 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 that election. And and previously that race was called for Sweeney. That the AP had the Associated Press had called it for Sweeney, but he he swept it. This Dur guy, this trucker, he absolutely swept it. And Sweeney was seeking a seventh term in the Senate. He was widely regarded as a kingpin. I feel like the time is right for a candidate like you, Stephen Cox. The time is right for a candidate like you who is being actively deplatformed by people who believe that you need a certain amount of money to be a quote unquote viable candidate in politics. You know what? In this day and age, anybody can be can be and should be a viable candidate in politics. And in fact I think that makes you appealing. I I think that makes you extremely appealing because you're not part of the system. And the system is broken.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. What's sad is uh, Willamette Week, right? They had invited um, Dan Ryan and AJ McCreary to a a meeting, right? Those are your two opponents. Yeah, the two main ones. Um, They left myself and Sandeep uh, Bali out of it. And the reason when I finally got an answer as to why I wasn't invited, it was because I'm not a viable candidate. Well, now there was this massive like uproar on Twitter. They kept everybody kept tagging Willamette Week. You know why? Why are you not letting uh, voters see the the entire field? Um, why aren't you letting everyone in on the meeting? So on and so forth. And I don't know if they just gave into the pressure or if they said, okay, wait, this is not. Yeah, let's go ahead and do this. They invited myself, um, AJ McCreary, Dan Ryan, so and So the Sandy Twitter campaign worked. Apparently. I and, think that's uh, impressive. It, it is. It is. Um, what was it? K-A-T-U, I think it was, that does uh, Meet the Candidate. Um, they finally interviewed myself. I was like, hmm.
0: So if you're on Twitter... Go on Twitter, and if you want to hear from Stephen Cox, and if you want more media platforms to cover Stephen Cox's campaign, you want to hear more about what he has to say. And just frankly, you guys, if you want the system to change so that we get more people like Stephen, more common-sense, rational people like Stephen running, make sure to tag these outlets and start getting some accountability for why these candidates aren't being heard from. And Stephen, if people want to get a hold of you on Twitter, how do they find you? Do you have, what's your handle? Is it Stephen Cox for PDX? Is that what it is? That's
1: what it is.
0: Okay, so it's S-T-E-V-E-N-C-O-X-F-O-R-P-D-X. And his Twitter page says, Our priorities are clear. Reclaim our streets, parks, and sidewalks so the world will know us as the Rose City again with your vote. We can, and you can go to Stephen Cox for PDX.com. That's Stephen Cox number four, PDX.com. Stephen, it looks like you've even got a link up to your Willamette Week interview. So, people, even if you're not on Twitter, you can find the, a video of the Willamette Week interview if you want to hear more about Stephen Cox. Stephen, what would you say? Your two biggest competitors, I would say, are Dan Ryan, who's the incumbent, who's the current city. Councillor, city commissioner, and A. J. McCreary. What, what do, you, what would you say distinguishes you? Let's start with Dan Ryan. What distinguishes you
1: from Ryan? I actually have a plan to get all the homeless off the street, and it costs costs less than his plan to get a little over three hundred, and that's going to take years. And my plan does not take years to implement.
0: So his plan was his metric, his goal for his plan was only to get 300 people off the street.
1: A little over 300. Um, I'm generous and go with 60 people per village. Um, I could not find an actual bed count for each village. How many beds are going to be in each one? If you can find it, let me know, please. I'd like to know. Um, so I just kind of went with 60 people, um, per village. Um, Hence, the little over 300 people. Um, and it's worth mentioning that only one of his sites has any kind of movement on it. And that's over on Multnomah Boulevard. They are pushing dirt around as of Tuesday. So as of last Tuesday.
0: So you, there is a Portland ordinance that puts into codifies this Dan Ryan safe shelter idea and it's ordinance number one nine zero four seven eight that specifically says high impact homeless people and it defines high impact homeless high impact homeless people are going to be moved into these safe rest villages and that is not a term I'm coming up with that is a term from I think this is Dan Ryan's baby. This ordinance, I can't be sure, but I can't I can't think of who else would have come up with it because his the safe rest shelter program is his program and those are his words. But according to high impact, this ordinance encampments are classified as high impact uh, if if they include but are not limited to evidence of conspicuous drug use paraphernalia, and I'm quoting directly from the ordinance or improperly disposed of syringes, impact on neighborhood livability as measured by the amount of uncontained debris, proximity to school park with playground or private residence, environmental impact on natural areas and or the presence of hazardous materials, verified reports of violence or criminal activity other than camping. These are the people specifically targeted in this ordinance to be moved into these safe Dan Ryan safe rest shelters to be placed within neighborhoods. I mean he has specifically said and Sam Adams told on a telephone call you can find it in a Willamette Week article told all the managing partners of the law firms don't worry you and your employees can safely come back to downtown because we're moving all of the homeless people to these safe rest villages and out of downtown and what My understanding is one of them was about to be erected and the nonprofit that was in charge of sort of making sure that everything people were safe within the neighborhood, because obviously people went apeshit over this. I mean, people in these neighborhoods that are just trying to pay taxes and raise families, the last thing they want are the quote-unquote high-impact homeless. I mean, we're not talking about mama working five jobs or a vet in a tent that's just trying to find a place to get out of the rain. These are people with verified reports of criminal activity. We know they're not screening them for sex offense because that's not in the ordinance. They're not screening any of these people. They're just putting them in a neighborhood near you, according to Dan Ryan. And these this nonprofit pulled out because they just said, we can't keep people safe. And what you're saying, Stephen, is forget this high impact thing. Literally, everybody who's splayed out on the street right now needs to be and will be in a shelter. And you're also saying that you will ensure the safety of people through whatever means necessary. It sounds like maybe it's a security guard. Maybe it's multiple security guards maybe it's maybe it's police officers
1: those with criminal histories you need to have more than just a shelter manager and a security guard involved you need to have the police involved like parole officers you need to have social services involved we need to know where these people are hence the if you go to a shelter that's your shelter that's where you stay Social, excuse me, social services can now find you. If you need or have a parole officer, they know where to find you. Um, we can keep track of whether or not you're there. Um, so if you have a job and you go and we know what time you should be back, there's a curfew, like 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., whatever it may be. Everybody should be back by that time. We know at that point who is not. If they have a parole officer, have they violated parole or not? If so, we know who to contact. Um, You have to screen people. You have to get their background. You have to get multiple agencies involved. You can't do it yourself.
0: And you have to keep the other residents of the shelter safe as well. Yes.
1: Hence, you need to do screening. You need to find out, is this person, do they have a history of, uh, sexual offenses well if they do okay let's evaluate what shelter are they going to go in do they have a job and if so why Why are they homeless okay can is, can they just not find a place to live because of their criminal history okay fine let's find them a place to live I believe in equality I think everybody should be treated the same um, having a background in HR it's a very big deal I don't care who you are I don't care you know if you can do the job awesome that's all I really care about Um, once you start treating a group of people differently or giving them a different opportunity than you are others based upon their skin color or their ethnic origin there's a term for that it's called discrimination there is another term for that which I'm really hesitant to say
0: do you believe that there's a place for affirmative action, and and what place does that have? I mean, there affirmative action means different things to oh. different people, right? It could be like the Supreme Court Baki decision, race, all things being equal, race is a plus because we think diversity is important, or it could be uh, race is the most um, literally the most important thing, and we should pick the m- most downtrodden in society and elevate that race first so that we can someday reach a level playing field. I, what are your thoughts on affirmative
1: action policies? I have mixed feelings about them. Um, I feel that they are, in certain instances, just legalized discrimination. That's what they are, or what it is. Um, there are other instances where, yeah, okay, it serves a purpose. Um, I think that truly the only way you're ever going to get around it, um, especially in the workplace, is when somebody fills out an application, they fill it out online and there is nothing in there relating to any of the protected classes, which everybody falls under each one. But it's not going to give any indication as far as your sex, your age, your you know ethnic background, whatever it may be it's only gonna give you the facts about the person. And I think once we reach that point, okay, fine, then we can move forward as far as everybody having the same chance, especially in the workforce. Like I said, my background is human resources, so I tend to gear more towards the workforce, towards the workplace when I give examples.
0: And so what form, if any, of affirmative action do you think is, is appropriate or necessary or works and maybe the answer is none
1: i don't i don't know of any that works the way it's supposed to um when you start giving preference um to another person just because you have to you have to say oh i've got two people but my quote is not going to be made if i choose this person, but I have to have a certain percentage of my workforce meet this specific criteria, so I have to choose this person. That's not okay. You should be able to choose the most qualified individual, regardless of. um, One of the places I worked, um, the majority of the workforce was Hispanic. It had nothing to do with who was hired. It had to do with who the applicants were geographically. Majority of the population were Hispanic. So it would make sense. But to say, oh, well, you know, a certain percentage of your workforce needs to be um, African-American in that particular area. It just wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't. Except geographically, it just, no.
0: What do you think of the argument that, I mean, you're a gay man. Do you believe representation matters? In other words, clearly we had a time not too long ago where being gay was certainly not talked about. It was, you know, we had a lot of gay men marrying women to avoid the stigma of, of living outwardly as a gay person, um, maybe feeling like there were barriers to them living a full and productive, open life as a gay person. Do you feel like, let's say, uh, do you think it would have mattered to you as a kid if there was a gay, openly gay president? Do you think representation matters?
1: It depends upon what it is that you think needs to be represented. Um, I think that being a gay man, as I like to say, my name's Steven and I happen to be gay. It's just part of who I am. Uh, It's not who I am. It's just part of. I don't like saying, hi, I'm gay and my name happens to be Steven. It just, it's, that's backwards. Um, being gay should not dictate anything about what you can or cannot do. It should have no bearing whatsoever. Um, it's just like the color of someone's skin. It should have no bearing whatsoever. Yet, unfortunately, in today's society, it does. Um, at my last job, I was like, okay, I'm just going to go all out. And I mentioned, I'm gay, I have, you know, a husband, and it I was really nervous because I didn't quite know what kind of reaction I was going to get. Um, I was surprised given where my job was geographically. I was surprised because they were didn't think anything of it.
0: You were surprised in the sense that it sounds like it probably wasn't in Portland where, not only would they not shun you for being gay, it would be probably celebrated as one of the most important things about you, knowing Port- <laughs> knowing Portland. <laughs> um, it,
1: was, it was not in Portland. Um,
0: Which is why you were nervous. Yeah.
1: It was, I mean, if it would have been in Portland, I'd have been like, okay, whatever, I'm not even going to mention it. But given the nature of the job um, and the, the employees, it was blue-collar. Right. So it was like, okay, I mean, these are a bunch of guys that are, you know, come to find out did not meet my expectations as far as stereotyping goes. You assumed they'd be homophobic. That was my assumption. And it was, it was not, um, my sexuality had nothing to do with anything. They were like, okay, whatever, who cares? Like nobody asked people, you know, they, they figured it out. I didn't necessarily bring it to work because it's not important to me doing my job it's it's irrelevant so to speak um there were assumptions made you know and i got called out on it one day and i was like yeah and that was it we moved on it was a simple yeah okay What would
0: you say to somebody who would say, well, that the reason that you didn't experience that homophobia is probably because over a certain period of years, people met more and more openly gay people and realized that they are good and bad and all in between, just like anybody else. And that being gay is not a bad thing. And so it's what would you say to somebody who would say, "Hey, look, affirmative action policies are important because we need to put uh historically discriminated people who have been historically discriminated against in sprinkled throughout society in various workplace positions, positions of power, political positions, so that we can gain, and it kind of dovetails with the representation conversation we were having, so that we can gain, continue to gain that acceptance and continue to show people that, um, To really to educate people about maybe somebody that they've never met before, maybe people that they don't normally interact with or have biases against or have prejudices against, if we put sprinkle those people within positions of power or in political positions, like let's say Barack Obama is the first black president, um, once we sort of normalize that, we're doing everybody a service. And so to that end, affirmative action is a good thing. What would you say to that?
1: If you're going to use Barack Obama as your example, I think it's important that you take a look at where someone comes from if you're looking at somebody that's already in political office and you're like oh well okay they're they represent a certain percentage of people right like okay you've got a gay person in some sort of political office well okay well they're there they're representing the they're representing gays as a whole okay that's fine but we need to look at how they got there how did they grow up? What kind of uh, home environment did they come from? Did they come from you know, nothing, you know, a family that was one paycheck away from living on the street? Or did they come from a family that was well off? And I don't want to necessarily say rich or anything, but just well off. What got them there?
0: You're saying all kinds of diversity are important, including socioeconomic status.
1: Absolutely. To recognize that.
0: And maybe this dovetails into representation too, in the sense that if you're a kid who comes from nothing, you can look around and say, Oh, Hey, there's this person in office and they were able to rise above their circumstances. And maybe I can do the same thing. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But you need to know where this person came from. That's in, That's in office. Yeah, if we want to talk about uh, discrimination and, and such, let's take a look at the Asian population. A couple of years ago, you could get attacked on the street just because you were Asian. didn't matter where you came from. If you looked Asian, you were going to get attacked. Do,
0: do you know that when Dan Ryan did not vote to defund the police, his house was vandalized? Something like seven times. Are you afraid of anything like that?
1: It's a concern. Oh yeah, it's very much a concern.
0: And and yet,
1: I'm saying things that aren't popular.
0: Your are discomfort with the city is so must oh, apparently overrides your concern about those things. Your your concern for the yeah. city.
1: Yeah. Like I said. This isn't about me. This is about Portland, the people that live here. It's about the homeless. It's about taxpayers, not just me. I want to... Portland's broken. It needs help. And it needs someone that isn't afraid. Why do you care so much about Portland? Why don't
0: you just move?
1: Why would you abandon ship? That's ridiculous. Do you
0: hear gunshots in your neighborhood?
1: I have, a couple times. And it's unnerving because you just you, you don't know it's difficult to tell exactly where they're coming from um, unless they're pretty much you know, right out front of your house or right at your neighbor's house it's because there's they echo the shots echo um, so it is concerning you know I'm out on my front porch and I hear gunshots you just go inside because you don't know um, you don't know if there's gonna be you know a car speeding down the, the road or something trying to get away so you just go inside.
0: Do you get the sense that others in your neighborhood feel unsafe?
1: Yeah, to a certain extent. Um, if you venture out onto a Lombard, absolutely, it's you just you don't feel safe. There's a, a Lombard's uh, been scary for a long time. It's just gotten yeah. worse. Oh, nice. Um, there is a uh, one of those little homeless villages. My issue is okay. Well. That's fine. They're there. Okay, great. It's the streets around it. They've become campsites. Um, You'll find numerous tents. You'll find RVs parked around. And that's, it's like, well, no, it's a sanctioned encampment. No, they've got little buildings, little tiny homes that you can live in. Um, I don't, I don't remember the name of it. It's across from a church. Um, the church owned the land. I think the city had something to do with building it. It's been numerous years since that went in.
0: And so what you're saying is it's attracted all sorts of garbage, uh, detritus, probable criminal activity... It's, a, it's attracted unsafe elements.
1: Yeah. I went to get in my car this morning to come here, and I saw this woman. Um, she was going around trying car doors, see if any of them were unlocked. And I approached her. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? I know my neighbors. She does not live there. She does not live within three or four homes in every direction. She doesn't. I know she doesn't. And I was like, what are you doing? And she was like, oh, well, you know, uh... I never really got an actual answer from her, but she moved on.
0: And you're saying that with your plan, the difference will be that you will consult with experts to figure out how to keep the residents around your shelters safe. Like, let's say a lot of these shelters... My guess is, my armchair guess, and I haven't studied it, and I'm certainly not a homeless expert, but my armchair guess is that your experts would tell you a lot of these should be downtown because that's where the services are. But of course, we have residents downtown, and so what I understand you to be saying is you will employ people to make sure that residents that are just trying to live and work are not impacted by the shelters that will be erected, that you, they, where all of these people who are currently splayed out on the streets are, are hopefully going to go.
1: Ideally. This is why you need to work with the neighborhood. You need to find out what are your concerns, how do we address them, um, minimal impact.
0: Well, and currently there's no real way to report to anybody what's going on. I mean, are you going to set up a system mm-hmm. where neighbors can report, like let's say there's a shelter in your neighborhood where where people can report like a like a line that they can call or something to report activity that m- m- garbage criminality disruptions Might fights just, noise yeah, I mean, there
1: is a number just nothing happens when you call it nothing so how is that even just disconnect the number and move on it's pointless um
0: again with accountability
1: yeah um i i We have a lack of police officers, so it is difficult um, when you see um, a drug deal go down at one of these places. By the time an officer can get there, it's already gone. Well, and the drug deal is probably perfectly legal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sure seems that way, doesn't it?
0: Well, with decriminalization, I don't. My understanding is they've been told to stand down as far as all of that kind of stuff goes. I mean, unless it's like a large quantity, unless it's like kilos of cocaine that the Honduran cartel is offloading.
1: You don't know. No, you don't get there. That's just it. Yeah, don't know until you get there. So, um, read somebody's post on uh, next door, and they saw a car go by with no license plates, stopped at one of the the homeless camps. There was some sort of altercation or interaction between the driver and this other person. And then the car left. So my question is, what was that about? Why weren't there license plates? And where did the car go? I would assume that it's in pieces at this point, but I don't know for certain just an assumption.
0: Steven, I really appreciate you coming in. Is there any thing else that we should know about you or any other ways to get in touch with you that you want to mention?
1: Um, you can, uh, find me on next door. Um, uh, I'm not on there I lot. think that's
0: neighborhood specific. Yeah. So if you live in North Portland, it sounds like you can find Steven on next door. Yeah,
1: you can. And
0: that's the app that you can download that tells you, that gives you activity in your neighborhood. And it's neighborhood specific. I think it verifies your address before you can start participating. And then once you're on there, it's everything from like a f- somebody it. giving away a free couch to yeah. I saw a raccoon in the dark to... I have a two-year-old, please slow down when you drive by, to these kind of livability issues that Stephen was mentioning.
1: Yeah. Um, One thing that people need to know is I'm not okay with the homeless camps. I'm I'm not. I don't care. They they should not exist. If you're homeless, okay, fine. But the the second you start living in a tent or you put... Tents together. Now you're camping. There's no camping in the city. It's just now you're you're camping. That's all it is. Um, I've been told, you know, don't split hairs, so to speak. I'm not. You see, homeless camps that catch fire or that you know, catch Retailing. trees. These
0: propane tanks that they're using are
1: exploding. That's what they're doing. When you have tents and you started a fire, you're camping. You don't even have to start the fire. You're camping. If you're truly homeless, you're sleeping on the street. You're, you're covered with a tarp or with newspapers or whatever it may be. But when you start sleeping in a tent, if it's on the, the sidewalk in the park, you're camping. That's not what the streets or parks are for. But I know some people are like, oh, well that's, you know, harsh. Well, you're splitting hairs. Well, you know, if you're homeless, you're homeless or houseless, as it may be. Not a big fan of that term. Um, But, But
0: don't you think if you injected these people with truth serum, frankly, AJ McCreary included, that they would say, especially people like her, she's a housing first proponent. I mean, don't you think if you injected all these houseless advocates with truth serum, they would say, we don't want homelessness. I mean, don't we all share a goal of eradicating homeless? I I think we must. I, I There are very few people who can string together a coherent sentence who believe that homelessness is a good thing. And I think the difference is, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the difference is you actually have a plan to get people out of tents permanently to to solve the root cause of this homelessness, which giving them a home doesn't do. That's right. Because they're still mentally ill. They're still addicted to drugs. They're not thriving. If
1: you give an addict a hotel room, right, or a motel room or their own place or one of these little safe rest village buildings, now you've given them a private place. To do their drugs. That's all you've done. You haven't actually addressed the root issue.
0: Or or did mentally decompose. I mean they're still dying.
1: Yeah. Um, at this point if you if you go housing first. You're going to have people dying on the street. And dying in the place that you've given them to live. So it doesn't matter. At that point I would like to get the people off the street. So they stop dying in the street. I would look, like to get them into a shelter. Um, to get them the services that they need. Um, I don't want them to go into a, I don't want uh, addicts or those that are mentally ill to go into solitary room. I just, it's a bad idea. It really is. Um, if you were to stop and think about it and go, wait a minute, what would happen? Okay, yeah, you would realize it's not a good idea. Um, my shelters uh, There's obviously multiple people in the shelter, and it's uh, mutual accountability, so to speak. Um, You get one person that's having issues that's like throwing a fit or whatever it may be. There's a really good chance you're going to have other people involved because you formed a relationship of some kind. So it's like a support group.
0: You're, in yeah. your ideal world, these shelters are like support groups.
1: Ideal world, yeah. Um,
0: well, nothing's perfect. Well,
1: no. Um, ideal world, yes. And it's going to happen naturally. Um, there's a program. They'll a, form
0: a community.
1: There's a program in California that my plan is based on.
0: What is that called?
1: Uh, it's Lucky Duck. Um, they've got the right program, they get people off the street. They provide the services at the site. Um, It's
0: Lucky Duck Foundation, charity in San Diego, California. Yeah. LuckyDuckFoundation.org is where you can find it.
1: And there's a video um, on YouTube that is a great example of what it is I'm looking to do. It can be done. Um, In that particular instance down there, they have Starbucks of all companies provide the food. So, obviously, you need to have business relationships.
0: It, this, on LuckyDuckFoundation.org, it actually says, homelessness dropped in San Diego County by a total of 16%. Unsheltered homelessness decreased by 29%. This was largely because of the bridge shelters that Lucky Duck Foundation funded and the opening of city-owned properties to service shelters for which they advocated. So the goal is to create, um, it looks like they say they fund bridge shelters, job training, employment opportunities, and they convert. Uh, This is kind of what Shariah Mayfield was talking about. She's running for Multnomah County Chair, and this Lucky Duck Foundation in California, in San Diego, it converts underutilized government-owned properties into shelters, and that's one of the things that Shariah was talking about. In fact, not just government own properties, But just, you know, she was talking about some bil- uh, some building, commercial building that was vacant, that had been vacant for God knows how long. And with an enormous parking lot. And she was just sort of thinking, why can't we convert that into a shelter? Why can't we just purchase that and convert it into a shelter?
1: There you go. Her, her and I are on, for the most part, uh, we agree on things. Um, we both agree that we need to invest in our mental health care system. Um, addiction recovery services, and it's extremely important. Uh, It doesn't matter what planet it's for. Either way, it's important that we do that. It is key to my plan um, because you need the wraparound services. You have to.
0: Right, and everybody's different. So you've got comorbidities of mental illness and addiction. You may have some people who are simply schizophrenic and don't have addiction issues. You may have somebody who has... A mental illness but it's not it's not as severe as schizophrenia and their main issue is drug abuse or a combination of everything and you've got to have the right people in place to really
1: triage all that yeah they have to get evaluated um that's why when people come in they get evaluated because we need to know what services we need to be at that shelter
0: and like Sharia, are you going to be keeping metrics and keeping track of these people and and publishing results of your program? You have to. Yes.
1: Transparency. People need to know whether or not their tax dollars are going for you know, going to a good purpose if the program that they are funding and the taxpayers are funding it, if it's actually working.
0: Thanks, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Anything else uh, listeners should know about you in your campaign for Portland City Council?
1: Vote for me if you want the homeless off the street. And if you want to address the root cause of homelessness to keep the people off the street and not do the whack-a-mole policy that the, the city is currently doing.
0: So you can find Steve, it's Stephen B. Cox. Yes. You can find Stephen Cox on Twitter at Stephen Cox4PDX. You can also find Stephen Cox's website, Stephen Cox4Number 4, Stephen Cox4PDX.com. Get in touch with him, ask your questions. Um, please connect with him. Learn more about his policies. And I think we all miss the Portland that we used to have. And Stephen is telling us that he has a plan to get us back on track.
1: We can get there. We can get there. It's going to take time. It's going to take uh, hard work. And it's going to take a lot of cooperation, a lot of, of agencies talking to each other.
0: And you're willing yeah. to build bridges and do all and work with all these different
1: people. Yeah. I don't care if I have to lock you into a conference room. We're doing it.
0: Well, you're an HR guy. So you're used to brokering yep. agreements and finding places where people can meet in the middle.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's what I've done in the past. It's what I do. Thanks for coming in, Stephen. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.